The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Descriptions of near-death experiences going back as far as the account of the soldier named Ur in Plato's Republic indicate that we have a hand in choosing the circumstances of our lives, even before we live them. Some accounts describe how we may choose our parents, our gifts, and our handicaps before we are born or born again into this life. Once here, the stories go, we usually have to deal with the hand we've chosen, Today's experiencer, however, has a different story to tell. Jim Bruton started his life out as many boys do with a love of wild animals and travel to exotic locations and desire to invent some science fiction gizmo straight from the pages of his favorite comic books. Excitement at the thought of flying World War I fighter planes and so on. One way Jim is different from most people is that he actually realized his childhood dreams. He lived in Africa for years and has an Emmy for his film work with National Geographic Television. He invented a satellite video system that squeezed a a TV news truck into a backpack and transmitted live video from places never possible before, including both polar regions, Mount Everest, and war zones throughout the world, where he was also an on-air reporter uh, for NBC News. As a lecturer at Yale University School of Medicine, he integrated various medical devices bound for the International Space Station and went back to Mount Everest twice to test them. When he retired from the war business and settled in Connecticut, he began building a World War I fighter aircraft, uh, well, World War I fighter af- aircraft reproductions, more than one, and then flew them. Jim was flying a slightly later model reproduction airplane in October 2016 when his engine quit and he crashed into a forest. Jim broke all of his ribs, ruptured both lungs, and broke his right leg in numerous places. It's amazing he stayed alive until the medical evacuation helicopter could pick him up and fly him straight to the Hartford Trauma Center. There, with multiple six-hour operations planned, the surgeons told Jim's wife that it would be a touch-and-go for that week, and it was decided to put him into a coma for the entire week. And that is where the story of Jim's NDE begins, for in that coma, Jim went to a place he calls the in-between. Jim, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. It's nice to be on this side of the grass and be able to join here with you and your listeners. Oh, absolutely. It's great to have you. Jim, tell us uh, what you saw when you visited the in-between. You know, it was was amazing. The... um when they told my wife they would need to put me in the coma, it's as if when I went to sleep here, I woke up there. And I, um, for me, there was no tunnel or you know seeing loved ones and all that. Nor was it a passive experience. It's one that definitely required interaction. But I, um, it's as if I suddenly appeared in a sort of a, a post-apocryphal cityscape. I mean, imagine New York, if, if everyone left and this was a million years later, what it might look like. And I was on the top of, a, I guess, one of the tall buildings there, and it was this incredibly dark, brooding, storm-heavy sky, not raining, not clearing, but full of potential to probably go either way. 
And I looked over to my left and I saw this large, strangely shaped egg type structure made out of, let's say, like a lattice work of metal. Um, so it was, in a way, it's like a cage. And the other thing I was incredibly aware of, of uh, was this intense stomach pain, like this nausea right to my core. And I was on my knees and I literally said out loud, I don't think I can stand this. And when you I know, said that, I realized all these were, there were gears, if you will, inside this egg-shaped sculpture, and they started spinning around. And at that point, I realized this thing and I are somehow connected. You know, the, uh, the, the existential philosophers believe that life is nausea. It's an, it's an interesting uh, word <laughs> sure. that you used. I, I wanted to ask you in uh, one of uh, one of the, your written descriptions, you say that it was an amazing panoramic skyline skyline of a purgatorial city, a gothic world with no sounds. And I thought purgatory is a is a, a very heavy word, but it means that you were maybe still on Earth if if you were any place if you can identify a place as such in this in this experience. You know, Lee, I, the, the reason I refer to that purgatorial is um, there, there was a time when I was, you know, obviously trying to figure this out because I knew it was <clears throat> very different from a lot of near-death experiences. So I did a lot of research, and I wondered, did I go to purgatory? Except that didn't really fit either, except for the kind of general scenery that only because it looked very gothic and because I didn't feel great. But it's not like I felt bad, you know, like somewhere between... Uh, I don't know, in, in some state of spiritual suspension, if you will. I didn't see anyone else. There was no real clue, if you will, to say it was purgatory in the way it looked. So I just kind of continued to go on it. And, and actually, um, you know how one of the uh, hallmarks of a near-death experience is, is sometimes either seeing people and feeling love or meeting a, a, a higher being and, and feeling an unconditional love? And when mm -hmm. people asked me about that, I said, no, um, I came to... I came to realize that my being there was a blessing and that I was being given an opportunity to change my future, to become a better person, that the past is dust, so the the choices before me were a fruit of my past, and in so doing kind of defines a, a life review, if you will. Um, but really, the the main thing here was that it was um, it was more like going to boot camp. No one yes. says when they go to boot camp, this is somebody showing me love. And there are not too many mothers who would want to watch their sons go through it. However, it's designed to give you the strength and the experience to make the right decisions in the future to allow you to survive and to lead others. And so I kind of looked at it like that. So it's like, you know, if, if, if it's God doing this, it's not like he needed to come down and, and uh, show himself in the way that many NDEs describe the experience. But for me, it was like he yes. excuse me into your listeners, like he needed to kick my butt, and it's like, okay, you've got my attention. <laughs> we we all need some of that, I'll tell you. Well, t tell uh, the listeners about this uh, this four story egg uh, egg shaped structure that you saw. Sure, and and, and I even you know it, 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 after months and months and months of really dwelling on this, meditating it, and and even still being connected to it. I realized that the shape of the egg was perfect because it represents the state of becoming. And what was becoming, like I said, it was housing these gears inside. And there were a special kind of gear called a sector 
gear. A sector gear is literally, you know how a gear is, is all the way around, like you might open up a, a watch or something and you'll see these little round gears. A sector gear is a portion of that. So it's a, it's a portion of that arc. So it might only be, a, uh, in other words, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end rather than just going around and around and around. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, that's interesting. And, and you generally only see these types of gears in clock-like mechanisms. Again, very symbolic when you're looking at your future. And you imagine these experiences represented by these gears, these thoughts, words, and deeds you would come to think, say, or do would um, have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And each tick by one tooth at a time, each, let's say, second at a time. And I remember... I would look at these gears and I could actually see, it's as if I saw what each one represented as like a little video feed playing in my head. You know, I saw going to an amusement park with my future grandchildren. I saw going to a large home renovation store for a home renovation project I was doing. But I uh, reached, I don't know why I knew I could do this, but I reached through that lattice work of the egg to touch these gears. And when I did, some made me feel even more nauseous. And somehow I knew I could grab that gear, pull it out, you know, wiggling it through that lattice, and I literally threw it away. And as soon as I did that, all of the gears started spinning around again, essentially recalibrating to a future that is now not going to happen. But they would fit together because that's the beauty of God's creation. And I just kept doing that. And interestingly, most of these gears... I perhaps represented as further in the future, I had to reach up high inside the egg, and I couldn't see them. I could only go by feel. And so think about it. Think about the beauty of that for a moment. If one of those gears said, you're going to win the Powerball one day, but you're going to become a really bad person as a result, or you know, you're going to have unfortunate circumstances occur in your life as a result, seeing that might have interfered with my ability, my having the strength to pull that gear out. But just by blind feeling it and feeling the pain of that possibility, I was able to use that as my guide to pull it out. So I could apologize for not being able to use some high moral compass to make these decisions and just using physical pain. But I guess at the end of the day, as long as we get to where we're supposed to go, little does it matter. Now, you described some of those gears as not solid. They were both solid and not solid. And you said it was like a 4D model of time. Were you able to grasp the not solid gears? The thing is, I, I would, I would say I was able to see what they represented, and I was able to feel them. But I'm not sure. I, you know what? I won't say no um, because, like I said, the the ones that I really reached to throw away are the ones I couldn't even see. So if I saw them, I might say, well, they're the more ghostly type gears or perhaps the less certain. What I believe I was actually seeing here was the wealth of probabilities at any given moment, meaning you know, when, when you're standing before a big decision, you can choose left or right or to take this job or that job or you know, to engage in an opportunity or with a person or not. There are actually many, many ways that could go. And I was literally seeing... I don't know if I could say I was seeing all of them, but I was certainly seeing more than I I could from this plane of creation. And that's why they pass in and out of each other. In quantum physics, they call it the superpositioning of probabilities of which, let's say with a conscious decision, we choose one. And that one collapses into a particle of what we call present reality. 
Now, you started to, uh, at some point, hear a voice in, in your head. Tell us about um, that conversation. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, you know how when we, whether we read a book or whether we hear someone's voice, it's as if there's a, a common endpoint, like a projector and a screen in our head upon which that information is projected. You know, if we're reading and we have our imagination and we imagine the voice is speaking, we project that on that screen. If, like right now, as I hear you speak, it's going through my ears and projecting on that screen just the same. It's like with this, I guess for want of a better word, telepathic conversation, it's like it's just directly projecting on the screen. So it's, it's not even able, I'm not even able to say I heard thoughts. It's like, nope, there's that information right there. And I will say this, um, the, the main thing I really, I mean, I, I've even written a narrative of, of what, what we talked about and what we said. You know, I said, you know, what, what, what is this all about? And it said, you know, this is your opportunity to clean up your future. And it's even easy to say, well, well why couldn't you do this? And say, well, that would be breaking the rules. But I can create a moment in which you can do the work. And I even wondered, well, why are the gears turning now? And I truly believe that's because I was in a single split-second moment uh, of time and we, we've all heard with NDEs over on the other side, time passes differently than here. And yes. it, may, it may seem to pass quick or slow. I, I really do believe I was in a split second there while my body aged one week here. And because of that one second, that's why the gears weren't turning except to recalibrate due to my uh, changing them. And I, I'm just blown away by no matter how deeply I dig into it and how, you know, the detail I pull back, it seems to remain internally consistent logically. And actually, I've come to understand much more about the experience by studying quantum physics than going back to all my uh, comparative spirituality books, though I haven't tossed them out. I'm just saying it's really interesting what I'm learning about this. And, and, and part of the narrative really was when I left, literally, that voice said, all things are interconnected and pay more attention to your relationships. And I've had some amazing unfolding recently about those very things and not in the way we would typically typically think. Like I came back thinking, well, maybe it just means I need to pay attention to more people because, you know, perhaps I'm an introvert too much or something like that. But it really had to do with I'm going to, by making these better choices, People are going to respond to you in a different way, in a way that actually improves your, your self-image, your self-worth, what you can contribute to others. And in so doing, that will elevate your sense of self. And then I might actually have you go back and meet with people who think you're the old self and they talk to you in a different way. But now, because of the detachment I also give you from this experience, you will it'll all run off your back like uh, water on a duck's back. And you will not be affected by it. You'll simply see it for the process it is. And you will understand that, essentially, again, I am rebirthing you into a new person. You said um, at one point, or you heard at one point, the pain each choice has is your guide. And um, and then you asked a question, and the answer was, "You're not here to feel good." <laughs> yeah, that's correct. And I and I can I can explain that. Think about it. If whenever we do something and we feel good, that means we've just come from a state of feeling less good. In making these choices, I mean, here's the thing. I, I'm thinking, if we were all enlightened souls, we would 
doing the, the, the things that would make us feel good would be our, our standing state every day, every moment. We would always feel good. That would be the new normal because we're always living right, thinking right, doing right. So there would be that perfect equanimity in which there aren't really the highs and the lows of feeling sad, feeling happy, whatever. And so I think that's part of what it was, was you're not here to feel good. You know, you're here to focus on change. But even in removing bad choices and, and seeing and, and making my future more about the good choices was that standing state of it being right is now so that it, it results in the fact that you're not here to feel good because you're not. It, it, doing good and feeling good is going to be your standing state, in other words. I don't mean to make that sound more confusing than it is. <laughs> well, um, you would... Uh... Uh, clearly you prefer the language of quantum physics to the language of sp- spirituality, but uh, one of the things you were told was that uh, uh, grace is our salvation, that no one deserves heaven, it can only be given by grace. And um, that certainly speaks a, a, a spiritual language. Oh, yeah, um, of course. And, and I don't see the two as separate at all. I mean, I, I think... I think God is totally in tune with quantum physics and everything. And Max Planck, who was born before the Civil War, who came up with quantum physics, was a he definitely believed in God. And I don't see the two as needing to be separate at all. Um, but anyway, yeah, I one of the things is that my understanding was that, yes, there really are people here who can read your destiny on your palm or on your forehead or in the stars. But in a way, what good does it do you if you can't change it? That it changes sometimes because of the introduction of God's grace. And that is not written in any palm or any forehead or or in any star because it's moment to moment. Again, we get back to that singular present, which I learned the term over on those I called the impossible now. It's impossible because of its thinness. And it's impossible because of the infinitude of how wide it is. It goes across universes. And I just referenced Max Planck as the inventor of quantum physics, if you will. And there's a a unit of measurement called Planck time that is used in quantum physics. And I think it's something like 100 millionth of one trillionth of one trillionth of one trillionth of one second. That's how short that is. So that gives you a real sense of what now is like. And there were times, actually the times when you could reach in and pull a gear out, you said, when um, when the gears had stopped. You suppose that was one of those infinitesimally small periods of time when when everything would freeze for you to make that change? Yes. I, I, in other words, by me being there with only one second and not really you know, doing much here in life because I was in a coma, um, I guess it's almost like you know you could you could only work on a car engine if you turn it off. Or if you worked on a car engine that's running because you're moving at the speed of light, <laughs> you know, as we, as we, as we, you know, even Einstein, E equals mc squared, said, you know, as as matter approaches the speed of light, time slows to zero, distance uh, contracts to zero, and our mass increases toward infinity. Meaning, since light is the only thing that can go that fast, as we become light, time slows down. Are the distance between us, meaning we, we start to approach being everywhere all at once and weighing everything there is to weigh. In other words, we become one with the universe. And this was Einstein. So I think that by uh, being in that state of being that is much closer to light than matter, that is why time could slow down 
And even though I am still breathing here, even though I'm in a coma for a week, my engine essentially was slowed down enough that I could work on it there and improve my uh, future. Another thing that we, he's told me, he said, because um, I, I actually, I, you know, throwing out all these gears, I said, is my life going to be shorter as a result? There are a lot of gears here. He said, um, your breaths are counted. Let me worry about your last one, that your um, – I'm trying to remember now, but it, it was it was it was very profound in terms of understanding that it's it's almost not important. What was important? Apparently, what was important was again not whether I was going to win the Powerball or win to buy low and sell high, but it was important that I see the beauty of how God's creation fits together, even if we're given that grace to make those changes in our future. And I yes. and I even said. One time I said, you know, it's really is painful here changing my future. And I said, your being here is an answer to a prayer. And I totally have seen that. And I've also learned, and in this place, again, I called the in-between, because it's in-between the past and the future, which means that, that impossible now, was that uh, it's not a place you go to or come from. It really is a place you simply are. And I'm still there. Well, you, you also wrote, time is the artificial construct by which the story plays out the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I, I love that phrase. I thought that was really uh, an excellent description of something that is almost has been created for our benefit, that it doesn't really exist except for us to to evolve through. And another thing, you, you said of quantum physics, the super, you described it as the superimposing of possibilities within an emerging event. Yeah. And it reminded me that some quantum physicists believe that there may be multiple universes in which all the possibilities are playing themselves out. And that is that all, all the choices are being made by, by you in different realities. Have yeah. you looked, looked at that at all? Absolutely. And, and, and what better way to express our godhood than we could be in those many folds of parallel dimensions, if you will, expressing ourselves in every different way. I mean, you know, for those who believe in reincarnation, we've we've been everything from the, the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. And it's it's part of our journey here and part of our understanding. And one one of the things I just wanted to add um about that is, you know, if there's no time, because all time is in between the beginning and the end, and I referenced the fact that in quantum physics they talk about entangled particles, and they understand that these particles are not only entangled across space, meaning they could be literally across the universe, and what you do to one instantly happens to the other without worrying about the speed of light. They've even done some experiments with radioactive decay to show how they're entangled across time. So imagine that there are two entangled particles, one at the beginning of the universe and one at its end. What you do to one instantly happens to the other. Therefore, the only time there does exist is between those two, and that's that split-second present. And that, um, again, as we as we travel, you know, as we go faster and faster towards that, we, as I mentioned, you know, time contracts to zero, distance, and all that, which means there's no distance, no time, or anything. And so, by approaching a state where we're not collapsing our probabilities into a singular point of present reality. We are becoming the light, and it adds a totally new meaning to the phrase, be still and know that I am God. Mm. Wow. Let me ask you about um, 
the the question of free choice. Uh, you, I, I think you see an interrelationship between fate and free will. Sure. I um, well, you know, generally we say, you know, like karma, if you will, is, is what happens to you. Free will is how you choose to deal with it. Um, we, I, I do certainly see as having a, having free will, but I will also say that you know, based upon our choices in this world and, and how deeply attached we become, sometimes those choices are so predictable, it, um, you know, it's almost to the point of being a, a robot, you know, and, and there are a lot of people who are that wrapped around the axle, if you will. And I think part of um, this experience in detach, I mean, everybody who has an NDE, they do come back with, even though a greater appreciation for everything here, life and people and God and the interconnections and all that, we are also a little bit more detached because I think to that, to some extent, like I mentioned before, uh, whether it's a foot or a toe or a leg, we sort of, it's still on the other side. And that's why, you know, there's a, a it's unanimous that no one's afraid of death who has an NDE. Um, but the free will part is obviously meant to be exercised in a way to, to make those better choices, and the more detached we are, I'd just say the, the more likely those good choices will be made. And again, if you remove what we would call the bad choices in the future, the ones that would appeal to our lower natures, it doesn't mean we won't make wrong ones. That's part of the journey. But if you make the wrong choice but with the best of intentions, it will be certainly far better than making the bad choices that would have been there to take us in that direction. Yes. Now, the voice that you heard in your head said, uh, gave you this advice, be gentle with everyone as I am gentle with you. And, uh, and then later you wrote, um, um, all the force of will you need is the art of letting go. And I thought those two work very well together. It is, and, and that really came strongly into me. It, it really is about the art of letting go. And, and it's not so much, like if, if we want to change, if we want to change ourselves, and of course to, to change the world we have to start with ourselves. And the mastery of self is the first thing. And if we can um, let go of the things that hold us back, if we can take off our shoulders, for example, our large egos or our lust for wealth and power and each other and just put it down on the ground, we can look at it and we can kick it a couple of times and we can say, you know, I could actually just walk away and leave this laying here and I do not have to carry it around anymore. And I think it's just a matter of practicing that letting go, which, uh, you know, is certainly described in many spiritual paths of, of how to get to that place. Like I said, sort of a crash course in detachment that NDE gives us helps a lot in that regard. Yes. I hope you're uh, writing a book, Jim, <laughs> because this experience is, is very unique among all the NDE uh, uh, stories that I have heard. Um, I, this, uh, I think there's a, a very different message here, and it's, I think it's an important one. And so um, I, I hadn't asked you before, but are you writing a book? Thank you, Lee. And I am enjoying writing. Right now, I've, you know, I've got a website that I've 
uh, describe my experience on one page, and then I've called the other page thoughts and reflections. And this is the continual, if you will, mining or prospecting of of what I've been given. And I uh, and I continue to share that and update that maybe about once a month. I am working with a screenwriter actually who. She herself had an NDE, a shared NDE, when her father passed away, and she has seen something very similar to what I've seen. And we're we're working on a movie. We're being encouraged to perhaps write as a television show. I don't want to say too much about it right now, but uh, we've gotten... It's amazing the encouragement we've gotten from some seriously high people in Hollywood. And, and it just shows you that it, there's something about the story that calls to people in an unexpected way. And when I recently gave my talk, sharing it just like we're doing now to a recent uh, IANS group, the International Association of Near-Death Studies, um, I was amazed at the the warm reception it received and, and people commented on it. I said, I, I'm just the soup ladle. The ladle the ladle just ladle soup. It doesn't know if it's hot or cold, <laughs> sour or good or not good. It's just Jim, simply the ladle soup. Oh well I, I think you're you're more key than that, but uh the ladle's the only way we can take the soup, isn't it? We are unfortunately out of time. And I want to thank you, Jim, for sharing your remarkable story with us. And uh, I, I hope you'll come back when you're further along with um, with uh, filmmaking and tell us how that's going. Um, tell us, uh, tell the audience how they can find your uh, website. Thank you. Uh, you can go online to www.inbetweenproductions.com. That's inbetweenproductions.com. Dot com And uh, there's even a little contact button there if you want to click it and let me know what you're thinking. But if you do, I want to know what you think and what you feel. Thoughts tell us what is correct. Feelings tell us what is important. I'd like to hear from both sides. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thanks so much. Uh, if um, the audience would like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.